Revelation chapter six. Now remember chapter one was the revelation of Jesus. Chapter two and three, we spent quite a bit of time because it's the revelation of the church and how it was really a a time for us to be in the fire and ask ourselves each and every week, Lord, is it I? Is it I that have lost my first love? Or Lord, is it me that's um, lukewarm? And, and just to come and just to let the, the, the two-edged sword pierce us and bleed as we may, whatever it takes to, to be right with the Lord. And then chapters four and five. Chapter four started out with metatauta, after these things. And I believe this is a reference to now the rapture has come. And as we go on, I think that's evident because the word church is used 19 times in the book of Revelation. It's used 18 times in chapters one to three and used one more time in the very last chapter, 22, but not used at all between chapters four and chapters uh, 21 because again, we're in this time of the tribulation period. And you say, well, it's tribulation period, seven, it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter what, no, 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 no. What is going to happen there? We need to know now because that information, because see, it's knowing the Lord that helps us walk right. A great passage in Jeremiah 9. You know, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase this, you know, but don't let the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. Don't let the strong man glory in his strength, but glory in this that you understand and know me. So here we are, this finite creature. Here's God, the infinite one. We can't know, the finite can't comprehend the infinite. But yet the infinite God has made much known about himself and in such a way that we can understand it. And so we go to the first verse in Genesis to the end of Revelation and we see God speaking, we see God working and God's the same yesterday, today and forever. So how God worked and reacted with Adam and Eve, Abraham, Noah, Daniel, Isaiah, Peter, Paul, the whole gang, as we see the Lord dealing, this is who the Lord is. This is his nature. This is his character. And we come to know him, we have life. By knowing and walking with him, that is eternal life. Eternal life is not a length of time because people are gonna be in hell forever. (laughs) Oh, I'm living eternally in hell. Well, yeah, but that's not eternal life. That's an eternal damned existence. So what is eternal life? It is a quality that you can have right now in this human flesh. Even while you're in a sinful body in a sinful world, right now by walking with the Lord, knowing the Lord, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we are going to learn some unique things about the Lord that have been spoken of in the Old Testament. Remember, almost all the book of Revelation is verses that have been in other parts of the Bible just requoted and explained in a, in a more thorough way in the book of Revelation. So if you know the rest of the Bible, then you'll know Revelation. That's why many say it's sort of the, the final exam, whether you really studied the Bible or not. And so um, this is why we're gonna constantly be looking at lots of their passages of the Bible. And so in chapters four and five, again, a couple of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, just seeing this beautiful heavenly worship. 
And now tonight we come to chapter six. Now remember in chapters four and five, there was a scroll and no one on heaven or earth under the earth was worthy to open the scroll. And John B. just began to weep and it was just a hopeless, overwhelming feeling that John had. And finally somebody said, you can stop crying. There is someone, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looked up. And it wasn't a lion, it was a lamb, as though it had been slain. Didn't look like he had been slain years ago. It looked like he had just presently been slain. Again, uh, this is something that is gonna be human in earth for, are you gonna be in heaven forever? Our Lord, <laughs> in human, resurrected human body, like we all will be. Jesus is the forerunner. As Christ was raised, so we will all be raised. But again, in the book of Hebrews, we learn when Jesus came into human flesh, it just wasn't for his time on planet Earth. He became in human flesh for eternity. He was in human, earthly flesh when he was here, but when he raised again, he's in human, heavenly flesh for eternity. And as Christ raised, we shall also be like him. First John 3, what are we gonna be like? We don't know. We're gonna see Jesus will be just like him. And so one thing that, again, we, we, we are limited in our mind. You know, we are space and time. And, and, and so, again, to try to understand a God who is, is not corporeal but incorporeal. In other words, uh, God's infinite, so he can't be matter. He's got to be something far greater than matter because he's everywhere at once. He knows everything, past, present, future. He's all powerful. So, again, to try to... Look at that and see what that looks like. No one can see God and live. No one can see God, period. I mean, it's just impossible. So these things are all descriptions. And, and one of the things is we see Jesus, it's gonna be fresh and remind us as if it had just happened. And it's gonna cause a great joy and a great sense of his love for us as we see him as though he had just been slain, as though his blood is still flowing, and, and, and we are so amazingly thankful that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is a precious little lamb who died for us. And we, as we saw the beautiful heavenly hosts worshiping before the lamb, and he was worthy to open the scroll. Now we talked about this. Nobody can dogmatically say what that scroll was, but I believe it's the title deed to earth. And as he's opening this scroll, it's also going to give the power to end all things on earth. Ultimately, no, everything's gonna be melt with a fervent heat. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But as this is happening, they, we discover there's a number of seals. We're gonna discover there's seven of them. Again, seven's the number of completion. And these seals, these things that are binding the scroll, as they are released, they reveal what's gonna be happening at this particular time as we discover there's seven years of a tribulation period. So here's what we see in chapter six, verse one. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures, remember the cherubim, radical creatures, <laughs> and they were saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, 
a white horse. Now, immediately we just think of Jesus because later we're going to see Jesus coming on a white horse. Matter of fact, we're coming uh, on white horses. So, why, oh, so immediately our heart would say, oh, this is Jesus. But let's keep looking. He who sat on it had a bow. Now, we're going to look here in a minute. Revelation 19, Jesus did come on a white horse, but not with a bow, but a sword. So now, hold it. And a crown, okay, that that's, could be Jesus. And was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now this, again, right away makes us say that's not quite the picture of Jesus. Now, let's look at this picture of Jesus later on in Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. It says, now I saw in heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and this is clearly Jesus, guys, and I'll show you why. He who sat on him was called faithful and true. Remember chapter one. That was one of the titles of Jesus. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes like the flame of fire. Another description out of chapter one of Jesus. And on his head was many crowns. Not just a crown, but many crowns. And he had the name written, and no one knew except himself. And he clothed with the robe dipped in blood. His name was called, here it is, the word of God. John 1, 1. There's only one who has that title. And that is our God who came into human flesh, who's the creator of all things. And in chapter, or verse 14 there, and the armies in heaven and clothed fine linen, that's us by the way, white and clean, cool, isn't it? He followed him on the white horses. That's us coming with him. And now out of his mouth goes out a sharp sword. We saw that as a description of Jesus in Revelation 1 as well. And when he should strike the nations, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself, uh, that's out of uh, Psalm 2, description of uh, the Messiah when he comes. And he will tread out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, King of kings and Lord of lords. So that's clearly Jesus. But now let's look as we go on here that this guy on the white horse who has a bow we're going to discover is the counterfeit, the Antichrist. Satan is a complicated creature. Lucifer, the head of all the angels. God describes him in Ezekiel and Isaiah as a creation of perfection, of beauty, that if he were to appear right now, he would appear as an angel of, not darkness, not of horns and evil, but of angel of light. He wants to talk about spiritual things. He wants to quote the Bible. If you were to give him a quiz, he'd get 100% on it. He knows the Bible thoroughly. And he quotes it almost perfectly accurate. He doesn't. He twists it and he lies and he uses it in a demonic way. Remember when he came to tempt Jesus, the word of God, God in human flesh. What did he do? He was trying to tempt Jesus, quoting scripture. The gall of this guy. Trying to manipulate Jesus to completely disobey his father by keeping the scripture, which he twisted. This is how confident this guy is, I guess I'd say, or or how self-deluded he is. He really believes he's going to win. 
But he, in his mind, he says, I will be lifted up. I will be as the most high God. He, he doesn't want to be above God. He wants to be God's son. He wants to be equal to Jesus. And so as Jesus came into human flesh, the, and the, the, the devil himself is going to come into human flesh. He's going to possess. Jesus actually in spirit became human. The devil doesn't have the ability to create that way. But he has the ability, as demons do, as fallen angels can, possess people. And he is going to possess some human. And then he's going to mimic everything Jesus did in a perverted, twisted way. But he's going to try to come as the Messiah. He's going to try to come and and do miracles as Jesus did. Remember that story where Moses comes in and 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 remember he he begins to do these miracles. He throws the rod down, it turns to a serpent. Remember these demons, these 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 sorcerers of, of Pharaoh were able to match him. And and then you know he was able to pollute the waters of of the the Nile and the blood. Then he was able to match that, and he kept going until finally the sorcerers are like, "Ah, this is the hand of God. We can't do this." We also see in Second Thessalonians chapter two verse nine that when this lawless one, the Antichrist, we in our last fifty years have sort of popularly came to know him. There is a guy by the name of Hal Lindsey that wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And he popularized the name Antichrist in that book. And it was sold so well, it just sort of, now if we want to, everybody to be on the same page, we're sort of stuck having to say the Antichrist. That is one of his titles out of First John, but it was only used once in the whole Bible. But you know, often as we teach it, it's like you think that the word Antichrist is all over the Bible. Uh, but it's not. Probably the more common term of the Antichrist, this is this guy that Satan's possessed who is going to become the false ruler of the world for a time, uh, is the lawless one. Um, and and here, here it is. This coming of this lawless one is according to the working of Satan with, notice how much, all power, all signs, all lying wonders. Remember, God has the devil on a leash. Remember the story of Job. (laughs) When all the angels come to report to God, well, Lucifer's still an angel. He's a fallen angel, and I don't understand it, you don't understand it, we'll never understand it, but he's still able to appear with the other angels. He's been fired, but he gets to show up to the the company picnics. I, I don't get it, okay? And they start having this conversation about Job and, and the Lord allows us to go through trials. God's never hid that fact. He allows us to go through financial trials, physical trials, every kind of trial. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Peter said, don't think it's some strange thing when fiery trials try you. We, we just need to get our brain out of that. Hey, the sound guy up there, can, can you hear that echo? It's sort of, or it's dinging or whatever. Sorry to wake you up. You can go right back to bed. Just get that f- fixed and you can go right back to sleep. 
And uh, anyway, um, the, there in the story of Job, when they're talking, he says, okay, you can attack Job, but only to this degree, right? So Satan had a lot more power than he was able to use. And this is what we discover as we go towards the last of the last days is the lease gets lengthened. And this is why, for example, in 1 Timothy 4, it says that many will fall away or walk away from the faith because of the doctrines of demons. And you say, well, why don't those doctrines of demons cause people to fall away? Because God has limited it. And so to the degree the demons are able to lie to people, now it's growing greater. Satan, we're not a match for the devil, not one of us. If any of us were in the, the, the desert like Jesus was and Satan came and faced us one by, we're dead, we're over, you know. I'm just thankful of that passage in 1 John, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. By God's strength, we can make it through anything. But I'm glad we have little private, you know, or sergeant demons attacking us and not lieutenants or generals. And, you know, we need to pray for those who are higher up on the food chain and pray because they are getting the general and, you know, special force demons, you know, and uh, 20 or 30 of them attacking them all the time, you know. So there's various degrees, but there is going to come a point when the rapture of the church comes and God lets go of the chain. And Satan can come now with all his lies, all his demonic signs, all his demonic wonders, and he is gonna look very, very powerful. Now, in his mind, he's as powerful as God. He's not, but to those who don't know the Bible, don't know this passage we're learning tonight, even people that come to church here on Sunday are gonna say, ah, that's God. He was healed. Didn't you see that? I know missionaries that, 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 that were literally watching witch doctors heal broken bones. Watch the bone get fixed by demons. And it's hard when you're preaching the gospel, telling them this, <laughs> these guys are of the devil, and they're like, well, look at my son, he just got healed. That can't be of the devil, that's gotta be of God. It was a good thing. Well, Satan comes as an angel of light. He does a lot of good things to deceive people, at least appearing that way, but it's a lying sign. It's a lying wonder. It's not out of the goodness of his heart. It's not to really bless you. It's to deceive and to take people to hell with him. He doesn't believe that's going to happen, but that's exactly what's going to happen. And we need to understand that. In Revelation 13, we're going to see this when we get there, but in verse 13 and 14, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness, this man possessed with the devil, he performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the face of uh, with those signs the face of the earth with those signs so we see that the devil has power to bring fire to heaven and it's a very convincing thing I don't know why but maybe when we're there if we I hope we're not but <laughs> if we were in a situation like that which you know, it's, it's interesting to me. If you go back to that story about Elijah, remember where he just sort of gets frustrated as the whole nation of Israel is going after the Baals 
And he finally says to all the bell worshipers, let's, let's have a miracle off, you know? And they said, let's do it. And there's one Elijah, he was the only prophet. He thought the only believer in the entire country. God corrected him later and said there were 7,000 7, other prophets that haven't met their knee, but he didn't know them. But there's these hundreds of bell worshipers and, and they put out a sacrifice. And the thing was, who can call fire to heaven? Then that's God. And so they're convinced they can call fire to heaven. There's no doubt. And they're going and going. And they're, they start cutting themselves and doing all kinds of stuff. And finally, Elijah starts making fun of them. Well, maybe your God's sleeping. You know, scream louder. Maybe your God's on the toilet. Get him off of that toilet. You know, get him. You know, he just starts mocking them. And then finally he goes and, and he prays and fire comes out of heaven and consumes it. And, and people are convinced. And they kill the bell uh, prophets that probably had become believers at that time. And then, and then he's confident the king and queen are going to become believers. And he gets down to the town. He finds out they put a hit out on him. They, they're mad because he killed their prophets. And, and he just gives up. He goes in the woods and just wants to die. But in his mind, that was the great, that's just the most convincing thing. But we learn now, as we get to the book of Revelation, the miracle of the story was not that God brought fire to heaven, the miracle of the story is that the bell worshipers didn't. <laughs> that God kept that from happening. Because that's very much something Satan has power to do. Why isn't he doing it now? Because God has limited him. But you're saying, well, if fire came out of heaven, that wouldn't convince me at all. I'm telling you it would. <laughs> For whatever reason, I don't know all of the, the spirit of it or the, what's happening there, but it's an overwhelming miracle when you're there experiencing it. And uh, it's one of these amazing, convincing things. Interesting, in the book of Job, Job loses a percentage of his wealth by fire coming out of heaven and destroying it. And when his servants came in to tell Job, he said, the fire of God came and consumed these things. So these men watching this fire from the devil, it felt like the presence of God to them. We know from the commentary on the book of Job, it was the fire of Satan that consumed those things from Job. But those who saw it sensed it was God. So it's a deceptive fire from heaven. So this conqueror, this guy on the white horse is the devil and he's coming, mimicking the Messiah. He's coming with miracles to mimic the Messiah. We're gonna see in chapter 16, he has his false prophets uh, to mimic the Messiah. And he even, he, and as we go on in Revelation chapter 13, he's gonna have a death and resurrection. Interesting. He's gonna have a mortal wound in the head and three days later, it's, he's gonna raise from the dead. Now the whole thing's a lie, but the whole world's gonna be convinced that he died and rose again. Satan is one jealous guy of Jesus and he wants to replace Jesus. He wants the world to worship him as Jesus. He wants the position of Jesus. He wants the power of Jesus. He wants the worship of Jesus. But he in no way, shape, or form has anything near the character of Jesus. But we need to be careful not to be deceived. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, 
And I might add, and Matthew, Jesus says, don't be deceived by this guy. Paul says, don't be deceived by this guy. And the apostle John says, don't be deceived. In 1 John 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirits. Now, again, if, if, if these demons, these false prophets were so obviously false, we wouldn't have to test it, right? It's just clear. I, I, don't, need to look, I don't need to talk to you. I can tell. This is this, is that. But they're not. Even to us as Christians, it's sort of got to take a double look here. <laughs> and even after talking a few minutes, it's like, mm, I know what you're saying, but I, I, there's this check in my spirit and you're saying everything right. And, I, I, but I, I, and, and it just doesn't happen in a couple of minutes, maybe even in a couple hours, maybe even a few days or months. Remember that story in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul has this lady following them who's crying out, listen to these men, they're of God. And, and, they, you know, and, and she's like a microphone trying to gather the people to listen to them preach. And after three days, Paul discerns it's a demon. And he turns around and casts the demon out of this woman. But the apostle Paul, it took him three days to figure it out. And he's a man of discernment. And she was saying all the right stuff, but you know, it's like, yeah, it's just, I know she's trying to help. She's a new Christian. She's all excited about Jesus, all on fire, and I don't want to quench her out, but you know, it's just like, ah, this is just not right. Finally, it's like, man, I just got to tell her to stop. And then you realize, this is a demon. But it, it took him three days to figure that out. So again, if you casually know the Bible, or I might even know, might even mention this, if you know the Lord on a rather casual level, know the Bible on a casual level. And as most churches as we know, don't teach verse by verse of the whole Bible. And even in churches like ours that do teach verse by verse of the Bible, the statistics show that most of you have still not read the whole Bible. How many, how many of you guys have read the book of Genesis? How many of you guys have read Exodus? Isaiah, Hezekiah, there is no book of Hezekiah, (laughs) but about half of you have read it. That was tricky, that was tricky, I just, I just got you going, once I got you going, I knew I had you, it was a trick, it was a mean trick, that's the devil, that's the kind of thing he does, tricks you, so anyway, let's go back to 1 John 4 here, (laughs) beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, First John 4, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not a couple, huh? A lot. Satan is working hard. If you can't beat him, join him. Satan's working hard, putting weeds amongst the wheat. And it happens here on a regular basis as well. But this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of, here it is, there's that word, the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. In this particular case with John, it was who they were confessing Jesus was. They would confess that he was human, 
who became a God or he was God who came uh, and never really was human. They were, uh, they, were un- they were unwilling to say that the eternal God was 100% God and 100% man. But uh, either way, he's saying that if you, 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 there's a lot of different Jesus. Galatians 1 says somebody came and preached another Jesus. And he's not the true Jesus. In Corinthians, he said, if somebody comes and preaches a different Jesus to you, you'd you'd accept him. That's a scary thing. You know, if if my kid, you know, starts introducing some fat white guy as their dad, and I go over there going, hey, son, that's not your dad. Uh, You know, any fat white guy will do. It's like, well, it may be okay for you, but it's not okay for me. You see how offensive that would be? And if we're like, ah, you know, it's, it's, it's a close enough Jesus. Michael the archangel, brother of Lucifer, you know, as long as, you know, he's a good guy with some good moral teachings and let's not get all particular. Well, he either is or isn't Jesus. There's only one who really did come and die for your sins and rose again. Well, going back here in chapter six, verse two, Notice this one on the white horse with the bow and the crown. He came conquering and to conquer. In 2 Thessalonians, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Guys, that's the rapture. We ask you, not be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word, or by letter. Remember in Galatians, Paul says, even if it looks like us are appearing to you, and they're saying something different, let them be anathema, cursed to the lowest part of hell. So Satan can do things. Remember when Moses died? We find in Jude that Satan was trying to steal Moses' body. What was he up to? I think he was gonna try to possess Moses' body and come back down as Moses trying to deceive, he has power that we don't know about. And here Paul says that, I don't know, maybe Satan to some degree has a power to get a look alike the apostle Paul and showing up and telling him false doctrine. Evidently that was happening. Here he's getting people to come in the spirit or word or letter as, and it's very convincing. Yeah, this is the apostle Paul. Look at the writing here. Look at this word. Look at this handwriting. As, and then here's what they're saying. As though the day of Christ had come. So think about it. This early church, what had they been taught by the Apostle Paul? That the Lord was coming any moment. And so the concept of the rapture happening was in their mind. Even though at this time, the church was only a few years old. Jesus had resurrected from the dead only a few years before this, guys. Maybe a, a little over a decade. So this decade-old Christian church had in its mind Jesus could come and gather us together any moment. And so when people come and say, it already happened, they're like, good, I mean, it could happen any day. That's an important point. Because again, as we talked about, and we will talk about more, there are people that try to take away the concept of the premillennial rapture of the church. They try to say there is no rapture. The rapture comes at the end of the tribulation or the middle of the tribulation. Guys, it's very clear in many different ways. And here's another passage. But he's saying, 
understand before the rapture happens, there's some key things that you're gonna see on the world stage. For example, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, what day? The gathering together, how? To him. Do we get that right there, guys, in in verse one? Because again, there are people who want to say that Jesus is gonna come to earth, there is no rapture. No, he's saying the gathering to him. And then in verse three here again, don't let anybody deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away, in the Greek, that's the word apostasia. We get our word apostate. False doctrine, false prophets, false. The apostasia comes first. So one thing before we gather together, before the rapture of the church, is we are gonna see the church that is worshiping the right Jesus, at at least at one time had the right doctrine, falling away. Now guys, in the last decade, we've seen stuff that's just unbelievable. I I remember back in in the 70s, Guys saying, hey, mainline denomination churches are gonna not only accept homosexuality, they are gonna have homosexual pastors. And we're like, never gonna happen. That's insane. And sure enough, the Episcopal church <laughs> says, hey, homosexuals can be members of our church and almost in the same year, they have a homosexual, not just priests, but bishops. And then you go right across the board, almost every mainline denomination has followed suit. And you just, again, it's hard to believe that these churches that were started by men that were so incredibly biblical, Luther and Calvin and Wesley, and these guys, you go back and read church history, these guys were as fundamental and a conservative uh, and believing in the Bible as we do now here at Calvary Chapel. But yet now their churches and their names accept homosexuality as if people are born that way and is from God and pastors and uh, women pastors and all, it's okay if they're homosexuals. And again, it's just one way that the church has gone apostate. Uh, accepting something the Bible calls repeatedly an abomination. And again, I, I don't want to get into same-sex attraction tonight and try to say uh, and there's some simple answer to, to homosexuality. It's a very complex thing. That's why every summer here, we have a, a, a series on same-sex attraction, as we will again this summer, because we all need to understand it. Because Satan, again, is a deceiver. And I, I told you guys a year ago, starting this September, there's a full-on push by Hollywood to have homosexuality in every show, whether it makes sense or not. Have you noticed that? And it makes you feel like an idiot if you think homosexuality is wrong. And it's, it's just very confusing. But again, um, what is the psychology? And, and again, are people born that way and these kind of things? I, I don't want to try to make it some simple thing. It's not. It's a very complex thing. But at the same time, what God has said in his word is what he said in his word. And there's nowhere in the Bible that God says, oh, by the way, I accept this, it's wonderful. Everywhere, it's condemned, it's a sin, it's a sin like, you know, just like God didn't say, hey, adultery is okay now. 
Um, Hollywood's got that one right. For some reason, Hollywood still thinks that's a horrible sin. It is. So uh, if you can call something sin, why can't you call things sin and be okay? You know, well, you're called adultery sin, you're okay. Call homosexuality sin, you're evil. Okay. Um, So I can call sexual sin sin as long as I pick the one that Hollywood says I can pick. And, and, And again... Does, does a homosexual ever look at somebody and judge them? Does a homosexual look at the 45-year-old guy who's having sex with a 10-year-old girl and say, that's a sin? Well, what if the 45-year-old girl, guy wants to marry the 10-year-old girl? Well, that should be illegal. Okay, so we both agree <laughs> that there is immorality, it's sexual, and it should be illegal to marry. It's just where we draw that line. But again, I, I have to sort of explain that because I don't want somebody going out of here just saying, I, I just made this blanket statement because I'm, I'm simple. I don't understand the complexity of homosexuality. I do. But the point here I'm making is there's one example of an apostasy of the church. But there's many ways the church has denied the inerrancy of the word. It's, it's denied um, many of, of things such as Jesus being the only way to salvation. Uh, they're accepting all roads lead to, to God. All roads leads to heaven. All roads leads to salvation. And then in many cases, or in a lot of cases, it's everybody's going to heaven anyway. doesn't matter if you believe or not. At the end of the day, everybody goes to heaven. There is no hell. And there is no hell. Uh, you just die and quit existing. But those who get to go to heaven get to heaven. So they deny the doctrine of hell. They did deny the doctrine of sin. They did not deny the doctrine of uh, the one way of salvation through Jesus. And these are all major doctrines that if you don't hold them, you don't have Christianity. This is what Jesus taught us. We know most about hell from the teachings of Jesus. And again, uh, there's logic in this. and I don't have time to go into all of it. But coming back here to Second Thessalonians 2. So don't let anyone deceive you. And I think even on a greater degree yet, Uh, very possibly we're going to see a greater apostasy uh, of the church as we've seen it, sufficient enough to have been fulfilled here. And that then the man of sin is revealed. So some way we're going to see, as we have seen the Roman Empire being revived, and we're not talking about that again tonight in detail, but from that, the Antichrist, as it tells in Daniel, is going to come out of that ten nation, or that ten kingdom, excuse me, uh, confederation. The Antichrist is going to come out of that. And we're going to see the players on the stage and probably have a pretty good idea who might be the one that's going to be the Antichrist. And who this guy he opposes and exalts himself above all that is God and that is worshiped. And he sets his God in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. As we go on in, in Revelation, we're going to discover the temple gets rebuilt in Jerusalem next to the Dome of the Rock. There's a wall built, the Bible tells us, the unholy on one side, the holy on the one, the profane on the one. And this temple is going to get built and the Antichrist, instead of dedicating it to God, comes and proclaims himself to be God. And in verse five, do not remember that when I was still with you. And again, it's interesting because Paul was only with them for three Sabbaths. I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining that he may revealed in his own time. What is restraining? I believe it's God holding on to the leash. 
I think it's Christians in the world. I think the church, that's a pillar of the crown to the truth. There's a lot of things that are hindering Hollywood, <laughs> hindering the doctrines of the demons, hindering Satan, just, just smearing the world with his lies and corruption and evil. And it's us Christians that are standing and holding it in their way. And it irritates them. We irritate them. Us teaching the Bible tonight irritates them. And in verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will be so until he is taken out of the way. The rapture of the church, I believe. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume one day, at the end of it all, with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is with according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception whom those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth. Listen to this. They just don't want to receive Jesus in all his character and nature. Some things about Jesus I accept. The other things Jesus just repels me as they look at the Bible. I like Jesus feeding the multitude. I, I don't like Jesus saying that men are going to burn in hell forever. I accept that. I reject that. They, they don't want Jesus and his full character and with all the doctrine. And so because they don't want to receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, God has sent them a strong delusion, Satan with all his lying signs and wonders, all the demons, and that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the true, but had pleasure in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We have a story in Exodus about Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, remember, Moses came in and Aaron with these amazing miracles. And then Pharaoh would say, okay, stop the miracles and, and I'll let the children of Israel go. But then he would harden his heart. And then his own sorcerers were saying, this is the hand of God. We're believers. You should be a believer, Pharaoh. And each time Pharaoh relents, Looks like he's going to tenderize his heart and, 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 you know, reluctantly submit. But then he hardens his heart again. And then it turns from Pharaoh hardening his heart to then it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God knew there was a place where the, the man is not going to repent no matter what happens. And here, people, as we come to these last days, Joel says God's spirit is going to pour upon us again like the day of Pentecost. I believe a lot of the miracles we see about in the book of Acts, we're gonna see again in the Christian church, throughout the church. We're gonna be laying hands on the sick and then recovering and healings and prophecies and miracles in our lives here. But there's still gonna be people that are gonna reject that and, and there's gonna come the point where God's gonna harden their heart that they don't believe. Well, back in Revelation chapter six, verse three, then he opened the second seal, and I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to notice, take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at this here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Interesting, again, Paul was there three Sabbath days. And notice what he says to these guys. For you yourselves know what? Perfectly. 
So if you would, Paul taught the book of Revelations clearly to these brand new Christians that were three, four weeks in the Lord. They knew this stuff that you're being taught here perfectly well, even though they were only a few weeks in the Lord. And he says that that day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, who's they? The Antichrist, his, his press, all these doctrines of demons. He's got the whole world saying what? Peace and safety. But then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. So Satan comes as if he has the answers. He comes and says, peace, peace. He comes and does miracles and signs and wonders. And everybody's saying, oh, thank you so much, President Obama. I mean, I mean, excuse me. Um, thank you so much for being such a great leader and, you know, answering all the world problems. And, and uh, thank you so much, President Clinton. I mean, excuse me. Um, I'm just mixing things up here. Um, anyway, and then what happens the spirit of just murder comes on the planet. And people just start killing each other. And um, this is what we, we see, this red horse coming. And, and again, all across the earth is, is this war and murder. And Jesus talks about it. That this is going to keep intensifying as a woman having birth pangs until she gives birth. Paul says, uh, describing... A society where people quit acknowledging and worshiping God. What's that look like? So let's picture an entire planet Earth that's worshiping the Antichrist, worshiping a false Messiah. What does the planet Earth look like? In Romans chapter 1, he tells us. In verse 26, he says this. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving natural use of women, burning their lusts for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due them. In Matthew, Jesus says, these days are like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Go back and read the Bible. What was the society of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a homosexual permeated society. And God came to Lot and grabbed whatever family he could, got him out, and then he destroyed that culture with fire and brimstone. And Jesus says, these days will be as Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you look at that, two angels came to talk to Lot And it says, all the men of Sodom and Gomorrah from old to young, old perverts and young perverts, said to Lot, hey, don't hog that flesh. Send that flesh out for us. They were tired of having homosexual sex with one another. They wanted homosexual sex with two men they have never had sex with because they weren't men, they were angels. And these angels, they were getting ready to break the door open and they struck all of these men with blindness. Now you would think they would go, oh, I'm blind, oh, you know. What did they do? Why they were blind, they were still breaking the house down trying to get in to grope and find these guys why they were completely blind. This is just a, a sex-soaked, perverted 
homosexual society that's violent. And look as, as we just see this in Romans chapter one, look at this homosexual permeated society that's not giving glory and honor to God. In verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they gave, God gave them over to their debased mind. He let go of the chain to do things which things ought are not fitting, being fitted with all unrighteousness, all sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, and I might say eternal damnation and hell, not only do the same, but approve, or I, I think there's a modern translations that get this right, they feel that they have to encourage everybody else to practice the same. There's like this overwhelming feeling of, I need to, I, I need to proselyte you into homosexuality. You gotta give it a try. You, you don't know how, you know what you're missing out until you try it. You know, you're disobeying, your, you know, you're obedient to your parents, you're submitted, stop being submitted to your parents. Just rebel against them. Whatever it is, they just have a, a feeling of whatever is righteous to, to do whatever it is to pull you away from that righteousness. That is the society of the seven-year tribulation period. So I have heard people foolishly say, well, you know, I just want to, live as a non-Christian because I like living for myself. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to live the holy Christian life. I want to live a freer worldly life. I want to go to college and, you know, uh, you know, go to all the drunken parties and join the sorority and have sex with, you know, a hundred different girls. And, you know, I want to go on Westpac and every port, I want to go find a prostitute. And, you know, I, I don't want to submit to God yet, but here's my plan. Either right before I die, I'm going to say, God, forgive me. I die and get to go to heaven. The Bible makes it abundantly clear, guys, in John chapter six, that nobody comes unto Jesus lest the Father draws them. That salvation is not our choice. That God chooses us and then we have our turn to choose him. But 100%, read John chapter six, 100% of everybody in heaven God first chose us, then we have the opportunity to submit our lives to him. So the whole concept of I will accept Christ, I will choose Christ when I'm ready, that is a false New Testament concept. Not gonna happen. So when God chooses you, (laughs) choose him. And those who won't receive the love of the truth, God will eventually harden your heart that you wouldn't believe in him no matter what. That's what the Bible tells us. But I've heard other people foolishly say this. Well, as we go on, and you're gonna see in chapter, this chapter six, there are people that do get saved in the tribulation period. And so I've heard people foolishly say, ah, I'll just get saved in the tribulation period. (laughs) Well, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that whoever is alive after the rapture of the church 
they will be snared like all other people on the planet earth are snared. That it is a miserable world to live in. And if you are a Christian with the Holy Spirit in you, convicted to live a righteous, holy life in a society like Sodom and Gomorrah, it also says like the days of Noah, which was a violent society. You can go back and read Genesis 6. So you have a sexually perverted society. You have a society that's just got the spirit of murder in it and violence like the day of Noah where God said, I can't allow these people to live. I gotta destroy everybody on the planet and start back over and go back and look at it. It was violence. And um, so I just say to you here, you know, even somehow it does work out, you get saved in the tribulation period, to, to live even two seconds as a righteous person in this kind of planet Earth would feel like hell every second. Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, describing the society, Paul says this. 2 Timothy 3, know this. When the Bible says know this, you know why? Because we need to know this that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous for who? For believers. For the non-believer, it's Disneyland for them. For the demons, they're loving it. But for people who have the Holy Spirit in them, for the holy God who, who is all around us, it grieves him. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, that's just that spirit of murder again, despisers of good, traitors, headlong, haughty. And so it goes on, the list goes on. But again, the, the, the society is just a brutal, unrighteous, unsubmitted unholy, unthankful society. Well, this chapter is an amazing chapter. And uh, as we go on, um, next time we're together, we'll pick up in in verse five. But I want to end tonight with what what are we to do hearing such things? God gives us these kind of things to sober us up. And it's reality. This is what's real. People can say, there's no hell. There's still hell. There's no devil. There's still the devil. There's no sin. There's still no sin. We're heading to the last days and the spirit of that brutal, murderous, sexually immoral society, it's coming. We see it like a wave. It's happening, isn't it? And the church, to get caught up and and be a part of that sexually immoral society, brutal, unrighteous, unholy, blasphemous, unthankful society, it's pulling us hard too. So we've been swimming upstream three miles an hour. We gotta start swimming upstream six miles an hour. We used to walk through a, 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 a field with five mines, mines in it every acre. We're walking through fields with 100 mines in it now, right? And it's not just for us, but we gotta pray for our family. Remember Lot, it says in Peter, was a righteous man whose righteous soul was vexed every day. 
it says in Peter when he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. A righteous man whose righteous soul was vexed every day. We discover he had four daughters. Two of them were unwilling to come with him. His wife was sort of dilly-dallying, trying to, you know, and the angels are going, judgment's coming, we gotta get out of here. And they just wouldn't. Finally, the angels by force grabbed Lot and his daughters and his wife and they're heading out of town. And, and the angel said, don't look back because they saw their hearts were like, oh, I know it's unrighteous, but I still love it. I know Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked place that grieves the heart of God, but I just want to keep living there. Unbelievable, isn't it? And Lot's wife turns back and the word there is she longs. She looks back going, oh, I just love that place so much. And she was turned to a pillar of salt. And in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus talks about this, the days will be as Sodom and Gomorrah, he says to all of us in these last days, remember Lot's wife. The... What are the things under trees? The roots, there it is. The roots of this system can get into us, into our root system, guys. And we need to be warned. But his two daughters were completely perverted. As soon as Lot went to live in a cave and no society, his two daughters said, we're getting older, we're never gonna have kids. You know, dad, we know him. All we gotta do is get him drunk. Evidently, they saw their dad drunk on a regular basis. You know? <laughs> righteous man. Not righteous to the New Testament standard of a Christian, but a standard of that day, unfortunately. But they got him drunk. He had sex with both of his daughters, and both of his daughters had kids from their own dad. Both of those kids became enemies of Israel. Both of those kids became nations that God had to completely destroy the nations because they were so wicked. But Lot lost everything. He lost his wife, he lost his kids, even though he himself was saved. And that's why I'm saying it's not just about us, guys. It's about praying for our nation. If we, God's people, will humble ourselves and pray, turn from our wicked ways, God will hear from heaven and heal our land. Our country doesn't have to go all the way down the toilet. <laughs> What's the answer? The right legislation, the right economic, the right laws, the right, no, it's not. It's God's people repenting from their compromising ways. God's people beginning to pray rather than not pray. The least attended meeting of every church I know is the prayer meeting. Very few people come got a church of thousands and a prayer room that can fit in the smallest room we have in the building. There's something wrong with that. It's us. It's that simple. But God will hear. And I, you know, as we're wrestling with these things, it should cause us to be sober-minded. It, could, it should weight our heart down. But I want to end with this. In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> John 14, verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. 
And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as much as we are sober-minded by these verses tonight, I would just say, don't let your heart be troubled. We're going to heaven. I just lost my job. Oh, you're going to heaven. I think they're gonna repossess my car this week, but you're going to heaven. (laughs) Ah, My son said he's struggling with homosexuality. I know it. It's a common thing we're hearing. We need to pray for our kids before they're born. (laughs) Once they're born, we need to fast and pray for them. Amen? Yeah, we're we're in a, a wicked world and our righteous souls are vexed every day. But let's take our kids out and not have them perverted. Let's have them be righteous when we get yanked out of here, snatched away, right? To gather to be with the Lord. Well, Lord, we thank you that you tell us as Christians, even though you tell us some very sober-minded things, some very heavy things, you always tell us to get our eyes back upon you. And you always tell us to not let our hearts be troubled, to hope in God, to be joyful in you, to rejoice in the Lord always and everything give thanks. And tonight, Lord, if there's some here that aren't right with you, let this be right now. If you're here tonight, the warning's gone out. Don't say, wait to God. Don't say, oh, yeah, yes, sort of. No. Jesus says, fall upon the rock and be broken, or that rock will fall upon you and crush you to powder. And right now, tonight, you say, I am not right with God. I want my name written in the book of life. And maybe you've never done it, or maybe you have at one time prayed for Christ to come in your life, but you haven't been living for him. And God has brought you here tonight, and your heart condemns you. God's heavy hand is upon you. And you want to know the peace of a righteous life before God. Right now, just cry out him. The Bible says, believe in your heart. Lord, right now, I am a sinner. I've not been walking righteously. I've not been walking holy. I've not been walking submitted. I've not been walking obedient to you as I know I should. But I know that I come to a great throne that's full of grace and mercy to forgive me, to help me in my time of need. And I come. God's arms are open wide. Whoever will come, let them come. He knocks at the door wanting to come in. Open that door. Come into my heart. Take the throne of my life. From this moment forward, yes to you, Jesus. And no, no to my flesh, no to the world, no to anybody who wants me to follow a path less righteous than what you want me to follow. I'm following you, Jesus. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. If you need to be encouraged tonight or prayed for, myself, leaders up here with their wives to pray for you, encourage you. And uh, definitely speak to one another and say, hey, let me tell you what the Lord spoke to my heart tonight. And uh, encourage one another. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.